0: Hello, and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and here's my co-host, Gavia. Hello. So this week, we are going to talk about the rom-com classic 13 Going on 30, as well as a couple of the other rom-coms that have come out this summer, including Set It Up to All the Boys I've Loved Before and Crazy Rich Asians. As many people have reported, this has been a sort of recent boom in the rom-com a neglected genre, sadly. So we thought this would be a good time to sort of check in on what's been going on in that area, Uh, especially because I recently rewatched 13 Going on 30, which was one of my favorite movies when I was around 14, uh, and discovered, to my lack of surprise, that it is indeed a masterpiece. So, we're going to start off by talking about that film uh, sort of in some depth and then zoom out a little bit to take a broader view of the rom com landscape. So, for those of you not familiar with 13 Going on 30, Jennifer Garner stars as a woman called Jenna who, at the age of 13, wishes that she were 30 and through a sort of magical series of events, wakes up one morning and discovers that she is, in fact, 30, and immediately rushes out to find her best friend Matt, played by Mark Ruffalo, and discovers that in the intervening years they have fallen out of touch. Uh, She is a high-powered magazine editor, which is the case in many, many rom-coms. Yeah, there's like three jobs for women in this genre, and um, inaccurate portrayal of journalism is one of them. Correct. We must embrace that. (laughs) Yep, And It sort of is revealed over the course of the movie that she has become an absolutely horrible person in her adulthood. And when she shows up at Matt's door, he doesn't want anything to do with her. But she is so charming as her 13-year-old self that they sort of wind up falling back together. And a very touching romance ensues. So I saw this movie when it came out in... 2004. 2004, right. We were 14. I did not. And then I think Okay, I saw so this I, for the first time like two years ago because it is my friend Stefan's favorite movie, and he was like, "We're all watching this film. It's a masterpiece." And he was correct. It is genius, and the most impressive part of it is the fact that from that premise, it is not creepy. Well, right. So I so when I saw this at age fourteen, of course, I was not thinking about the potential creepiness. Right? Like, no. Mark Ruffalo is so dreamy. At 14, you're just like, oh, my God, he's so dreamy. Like, you're not thinking about the fact that this is actually, like, horrible. If it were to really happen. Not that that's possible. Um, (laughs) And then I think I saw it only one other time after that, probably just a year or two later. And then I've always thought of it as a great movie, but just for whatever reason, I'd never seen it again. And then I was visiting our friend Sarah in London, and we watched it together, And I was like, this is even better than I remembered, which is remarkable. But a couple of years ago, I was describing it to a friend of mine who is our age, but somehow had never seen this film either. And I was describing the plot and she was just looking at me and was like, this sounds unbelievably creepy. Like, What (laughs) on earth? And I was like, no, no, no. I promise. Like, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, but I assure you, it is not creepy like it's so good it's she's just so charming because it captures like the essence of like a 13 year old crush where it's like kind of like they've reached the point where like they've hit puberty but it's like not sexual because like the actual sex part is like completely off that's not on, on on the table at all and somehow they've managed to like distill that emotional state and turn that into a movie that takes place in the normal setting of a workplace drama in New York, <laughs> right. it's it's in, it's just incredible. Like I don't know how they pulled it off. And also, Mark Ruffalo is playing like a real grown up. I mean, Mark Ruffalo always plays right. real grown ups because that's what he looks like, even when he's playing a character who's immature. This is a person who is thirty five. Yes. <laughs> well, the key trick, and our friend Sarah articulated this; she was totally right, is that Jennifer Garner. Is the thing that makes this movie work. And every component of this movie is great, but obviously if you don't have an actress who completely nails the central role, the whole thing falls apart. Well, I didn't realize and... this was like her first feature, like her first starring movie role. Yeah. Which is nuts. Because like before this she did Alias, which I never watched, but it must have been so weird for people to know her from Alias. And then this is the movie she does, which is now obviously like made her into like the queen of rom-coms. Although obviously she's been doing like mostly very mediocre or minor roles for like years now, partly due to Ben Affleck, which we will discuss later. Yeah, but she literally, yeah, she she like chose the director herself, and then she and Mark Ruffalo like improved a ton of this movie, and it shows because like they're just comic comic genius charisma. Wondering. Yeah, <laughs> it's they have an incredible vibe, and she is, as our friend put it. She is unbelievably attractive in a literal sense. I mean, obviously she's very beautiful, but she is just, like, she attracts the viewer. Like, you just want to watch her. She is so unbelievably charming and winning. And she is one of the most compelling screen presences in a movie that I've basically ever seen. Like, she's just incredible. But not sexualized at all which is where the movie would have gone totally wrong. Like, if they had sexualized this character even slightly, it would have immediately tipped into creepy. And the fact that they don't is, again, remarkable because she's working at this sort of, like, hip women's magazine and also is a 13-year-old who wakes up in Jennifer Garner's body and is very excited that, like, she has boobs, right? And so wears a number of dresses where the boobs are very apparent, but you never get the sense that the camera is like, oh, my God like Jennifer Garner has boobs. It's just that she's like, oh my God, I get to wear these dresses. And it's like, really so am like, When exciting. you think of the number of movies, specifically movies directed by men, which this was, but like, if you think about the number of movies that have like a sexy girl women in them, either they're kind of dressed in like a baby spice outfit or they're kind of, they've got like a fake childlike personality and it's really skeezy. Like there was a lot of them in Joss Whedon movies, you know, like River Song and stuff. Yeah. This should be that, but it's not because they've got someone who like actually is acting like a really perky, naive, dumb 13-year-old. And there's a difference between a perky, dumb, naive 13-year-old and like the sexual fantasy of a perky, dumb, naive 13-year-old. Yes. I said out loud while we were watching this movie a couple weeks ago, How did they get it so right? Like, how did they remember so well what it was like to be this age? Well, it's like some like people who are really, really great young adult novelists, where they can just channel the mindset, and every teenager is like, "You have completely captured my spirit." And like a lot of young adult novelists can't do that, right? And this, yes, this movie is like those great novels, and the performance completely nails it too. There's a moment where she like, throws herself down on her bed to call someone and, like, kicks her, like, her feet up behind her and, like, hooks her feet together in a way that, like, anyone who has been or seen a teenage girl ever, (laughs) like, it's so recognizable. And it's just one of those things where, like, I think I understand kids very well, like, psychologically. And I was watching this and I was like, this is so much... More specific than anything I could possibly have ever conjured, right? Like it's just amazing, and it also—it's a interesting mix of it. Simultaneously, feels very dated, like fashion-wise. They're wearing absolutely hilarious, like early aughts clothes that take me back in a comical way to like what what people were wearing then. And then she also wears a lot of like 80s inspired outfits because that's what her references are. But it doesn't have any like modern technology in it, obviously, but the behavior of teenagers has not changed in like a fundamental way in the past 14 years. And so that kind of superficial stuff has dated in a funny way, but the core of the movie has, it doesn't matter at all that all this time has passed. It's just like, wow, yep. Well, that's what I was thinking recently when yep. I was watching the original Halloween, which came out in like 1979 or something. Because that, as it turns out, I was not expecting, is basically just like an observational comedy drama about teenage suburban life. Plus there's like a serial killer in it occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is amazing. Like teens, teens are great. Listen, you, you've depicted this so well and it's all female characters. And like, obviously 13 Going on 30 is a better movie than Halloween. But um There is certainly like a spirit that if you can channel it, you don't necessarily need to have the references to like YouTube or whatever, which is what like most people try to do now. And it's very difficult to do a reference in the right way. Although I think out of everyone, the worst perpetrators are superhero comic writers because all (laughs) people who, I mean, you know, most people (laughs) who are writing superhero comics are 45 year old men. They are trying to engage with the youth. And they will have someone who's like you've got like a fucking YouTube channel, and they'll be like vlogging, and they'll like describe something as lit, and I'll be like, I feel like my own body right now is decaying <laughs> from having read this. I mean, you, just, you oh, actually, no. as it turns out, you have to be emotionally authentic. Is what we've learned from Jennifer Garner. Strange. <laughs> well, and the thing, what the, the genius thing about this movie too is that I watched this when I was basically the age of the character, like emotionally. Yeah, I mean this came out precisely the right age of it, because we were 14 when it came out. And that means like all of the fashion and stuff viscerally just makes us think of like 13. Yeah. And I loved it so much. And I was someone who really, really did not like girly stuff at all at that age. Yeah, me neither. My Yeah. I, I was like my reaction to like culture was basically just to be like I don't like this. I do not want to be given things that are like feminine and girly, like get it away from me. And I was forced to watch many romantic comedies around this time at sleepovers and birthday parties. And I hated all of them. Like this was a great strained to me I was just like oh my god this is so horrible and all the rom-coms that were coming out around that time were terrible to be fair like it was not a it was not a good moment for the genre the other one that Mark Ruffalo did and like we all loved Mark Ruffalo in it this was again he was he was very attractive in this period as he has always been but the movie itself was awful as the one where Reese Witherspoon is in a coma and is haunting her old apartment where while you were Ruffalo sleeping now lives. I've no. not seen that movie, but I've well, I know the plot of this one because there is like a million fanfics based on this. It's called Just Like Heaven. Okay, sure. while you were sleeping is another coma rom com, but that one has Sandra Bullock and is actually quite charming. This one is there is just nothing redeeming about it whatsoever, and. You know, we were all like 13-year-old girls, right? Like, of course, all my friends wanted to watch these movies. Like, that's fine. That was normal. But I was just like, ugh. I stayed all of this. Like, <laughs> I'm above this. And yet, this movie, I loved so much. And I think it is because it captures that essence so clearly. And yet, then, watching it as an adult... I found it not diminished in any way, and in fact, it was better than I recalled, because it is so smart about that stuff and not condescending in any way. And I think that's probably why I liked it as a kid too, because and also like all good young adult stories, it means that your your past self and your present self can commune through the medium of a time travel art. And now, yes! as a nearly thirty year old woman, you can look back and be like, Yes. I am adult Jennifer Gardner now <laughs> except we're not because we're not bitches and we're not successful. <laughs> correct. So in no way no. Um, but being able to pull that off, I mean that's one of the things that makes I think those particularly great young adult books good and it is also what makes this so good. Um, and I just I just think it's a miraculous movie. like I I was totally odd watching it again. And it's just so funny and fun to watch. And so much of that comes from her performance also. Genuinely, I was watching it and I was like, she should have won an Oscar for this. Like justice for Jennifer Garner. It is so sad that her career has turned into what it now is is yeah she was poisoned by marriage unfortunately I know there was a really great profile I think it must have been like one of those like Anne Helen Peterson long reads Mm -hmm. we'll we'll link to it in the show notes but it was this really interesting sort of long form article that was basically kind of examining her star power because um now like her public image is very much sort of not like republican mom but like wholesome suburban mom and yes. she's like during the period when she's not been making a lot of like good movies that people know about. She has been working like solidly and she's been doing these like mom movies. Um, yeah, she's not been like cranking them out, but she's been working a bit. And I think she's kind of now on the cusp of a comeback post-divorce. The new movie she has coming out now is apparently heinously bad and racist. It's like a revenge thriller and it's it's a bad revenge thriller. So let's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... In theory, I'm ready for more Jennifer Garner because she's a charming, delightful presence, and she has a wonderful mom Instagram. Oh, her Instagram's so good. Also, she has an HBO show coming up that oh, was Oh shit, yeah. Uh-huh. Produced I don't know about written I, I'm not I just I'm not sure about who wrote it. But it was at least produced by Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, who did Girls. So whether or not that is good or to everyone's taste, it will definitely be interesting and not in the same tone as the sort of like nice mum films that she has been so doing she so I coming out. To and Julia Roberts has an Amazon series coming out yes and the one thing I know about the Amazon series is that each episode is one half of an hour long and one half of an hour is an amazing length of time for a drama <laughs> love it I agree I agree um do you know the story about Ben Affleck and Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer. I do, Garner but please share film. it with the listeners because it's wild. Oh my goodness. So apparently this is just a story that's been around forever, and I do believe it to be true, although I do obviously do not have direct sourcing. Ben Affleck saw this film and Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo's chemistry was so through the roof that he decided they could not be friends anymore. Which is so tragic. But also you watch it and you're like, Well, I kind of understand this. <laughs> it does sort of make sense but wow she was deprived of Mark Ruffalo for 15 years I really hope that they have reconnected they should do another movie together yeah. that would make me really happy yeah. like, please and we need a redo please. on the Keanu Winona Rutt movie that was, com- that was coming out this year <gasps> which apparently ain't good the word am- cell" was used to describe Keanu Reeves' character and honestly we have been fucking robbed if that is the case I am um, genuinely, like, distraught yeah. about this. I'm crushed. I was looking forward to that film so much. Why do bad scripts happen to good people? I know. I mean, they love each other so much. Surely they will do something Yeah, else, they better. Please. They need to do another rom-com. Yeah. Why don't we use this to transition into our broader discussion? Yes. So... As many outlets have observed, this has been a sort of rom-com revival summer. Mm -hmm. Thanks in large part to Netflix, although not exclusively. Obviously, Crazy Rich Asians, which is one of the biggest movies of the summer, was not released on Netflix. Although Netflix tried really hard to get it, and the director, John Chu, and the writer, Kevin Kwan, were both like, no, we do not want to do this. Don't give it to Netflix. No, it's made over 130 million dollars as of this recording, and it's so not th- even out here in the UK yet. Um, yeah, we'll probably have seen it by the time this episode comes out, but um, at the moment, I have not. Yeah, um, I obviously have. I found it totally delightful. I did not think it was a great film, but I definitely thought it was good. I think it is easily the best of the three that have come out this summer, discounting the. Um, Kiana went on a movie, which I obviously did not see because the reviews were so terrible that I did not feel compelled. It seems like it has already vanished. It. Yeah, yeah, it came and went very quickly. Um, so the other two, as I said at the top, are Set It Up, which came out in June, and then To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which came out a couple weeks ago on Netflix and has been quite a phenomenon on Twitter. I would say. I think that is a fair way. Yeah, like, people were tweeting enough about the character Peter Kavinsky, who admittedly does have a very memorable name, that it came up on Twitter's internal stats and they, like, released a press release about here's how many people are talking about this movie. And it was, like, gajillions. I did not realize at first that Peter Kavinsky was the character's name and not the actor. Yeah, I mean, because it took was a while for the actor so to have his own name given to him, for him to earn his own name rather than being the character. Right. And it seems like Peter Kavinsky may be his defining role for the foreseeable future, because wisely, this man's agent has signed him up for multiple rom-coms. The next one has already come out on Netflix. I've heard it's a bit so-so. It's like a surrounded Bergerac movie, but apparently his character is like very whatever in it. Um, but he has two more rom-coms coming out in the next like six months, both of which are about him designing a dating app different dating apps in each film I mean embrace your niche I suppose one of them he's like a fake boyfriend dating app where you hire him to be your significant other or something I don't know I imagine that unless they're both terrible I will probably watch them because we're all thirsty for rom-coms but I think Morgan and I have a pretty similar viewpoint on the rom-com resurgence which is A. if you've been listening to us at all you know that we fucking love rom-coms and we've been asking for more of them for years and we're very excited to see them back um, but B, the fact that people are super excited about these movies doesn't necessarily mean they're all that. I love To All the Boys I love, I've love i Loved Before way more than Morgan does. Like, I actually really enjoyed that film. But I don't think it's a film that's going to go up in kind of like the teen movie classics necessarily, like alongside like Mean Girls or Pretty in Pink, um, even though it's like really good. Obviously, I have a different response to it because if you're an Asian woman who's grown up never having seen yourself represented, you're going to be like, this is so much more important to me, whereas I'm like, not going to have that effect. But in terms of overall rom-com slash teen movie genre, this seems like it's the ramping up stage and like at some point, a really brilliant one will come out. But that hasn't quite happened yet. We're just all super overexcited by the fact that these are happening at all. Because like when Set It Up came out, people were fucking like reblogging Tumblr gifs and being like, this is genius. And it's like, I quite enjoyed that film, but as Morgan describes it, I think more, the phrase Morgan uses to refer to this film is that it's a fake movie, and it is indeed a made-for-TV movie which has lucked out in the fact that it has cast Lucy Lou and T. Diggs in it in supporting roles. Yes. Someone on Twitter was the person who coined the fake movie thing, and it was so long ago that I do not recall it, and now uh, our friend Charlotte and I just say it so much that it's... Whoever did that, it, it's lost to time. I apologize. But, um... Most movies that are actually made by Netflix rather than acquired by Netflix are fake movies. Yes, I totally agree. And this is what's part of what's been so interesting to me about the rom-com situation this summer is that, so I have watched all three of these. I also watched uh, one that I forgot to put in this list because in my mind, it kind of exists in a separate category, which is uh, Juliet Naked, which was a new Nick Hornsby adaptation starring Ethan Hawke, Rose Byrne, and uh, Chris O'Dowd. I saw it right before I saw Crazy Rich Asians, and it's another rom-com that was in theatrical release in a very limited release. Yeah, I think I saw a trailer for it. And it was very modest in its sort of scope, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I think of these four, actually, it's the best film as a film. If you like rom-coms, I highly recommend it. But I want you to tell me after the episode's over which boy she ends up with. Because I was watching the trailer and I was like, I'm sure she's going to pick the wrong one. Um, I will tell you right now because it is not a spoiler at all. And it is completely obvious from the beginning of the movie. And it is Ethan Hawke because Chris O'Dowd oh, plays good, a horrible man. Because the trailer I was watching <laughs> made it seemed like she was going to be like, oh, after all, I've realized that I prefer my shit boyfriend. Oh, oh that's such no, a no, movie. no, no, no. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, that movie, they're all great in it. Rose Byrne is really charming. I mean, that's a really Chris fun, O'Dowd is good hilarious at playing just, like, a horrible indie rock blogger. Like, that's his <laughs> basically his role. And then they cast Ethan Hawke as an indie musician who had, like, one good album in the 90s and then vanished and uh, had a bunch of children with many women. And that scans to me. Like, that just seems... Yeah, like, because I was watching the trailer and I was like, I feel like I'd probably enjoy this film, but it was just making me antsy. And I realize that we have now potentially spoiled a bunch of listeners, but, like... I hope you switch off. It's 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 genuine. It's not a spoiler. Like oh, okay. it's so obvious from I think from the very beginning that like Chris O'Dowd is so odious that there's no possible way. That I she could don't. End up with I don't him. trust. I don't um, trust films. I don't trust him. I understand. I understand. <laughs> um, but what was so nice about that movie was that it was just about adults. Like they're kind of middle-aged people, and they all behave like real people. The writing was really good. The, the performances were great. Ethan Hawke is one of my favorite actors, and he always chooses interesting things or things that will make him money because he needs to send his kids to college, but this was not one of those films. Um, and it was just, it wasn't like a mind-blowing film, but it was just really well done, and I really enjoyed it. But it was interesting to see that in Crazy Rich Asians. So close to each other because Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, they're Asians, literally the opposite type of movie. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> so they're both in the same genre in a technical sense, but Crazy Rich Asians is definitely like a more important film, and I hate describing movies that way, but in this case, it that's just a fact, right? And it is trying to do more, and it is like, it will have obviously like so much more societal impact. And I do think it's a good movie, but I think it has some major. But also, it's flaws. like, it's like glamorous, right? Because it's like some. Yes romance movies are like sweeping Moulin Rouge romance and other ones are like here's someone who's in a cottage yes I mean you've just described the two films and so if I were telling people which of these to go see in a theater I would say Crazy Rich Asians even though I liked the other one more because Crazy Rich Asians is trying to do something that Juliet Naked isn't but those two movies are both movies right like they are absolutely both films and I think part of the the reaction to Crazy Rich Asians has been really interesting to me because I completely understand the cultural response to it. And I felt it even as a white person, like it was really refreshing to see something that was different. And I think the best part of that film actually is the setting and like the direction of that movie is excellent. And you can tell that um, John Chu, who directed it, is really fascinated by Singapore. And there's all this sort of attention to detail about food. And I'm really I'm really looking forward to being able to read and listen to podcasts about the food in this movie because I listen to a lot of food media. <laughs> and I'd be like, I can't like, listen in case there's a spoiler for Crazy Rich Asians because like there's so much food detail. And there's one thing I enjoy. It's thoughtful food production in a movie. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of stuff, which it may- distinguishes the movie from other movies of this type, I found to be the most interesting thing about the movie, actually, apart from Michelle Yao's performance, which was incredible. And obviously her character, she plays the mother of the male love interest, is also like grounded in all these sort of cultural things going on in the movie. So I thought it was a movie that had a lot of really interesting stuff going for it, but I also thought it had like major major script flaws. That came directly from the book. Um, and some people did comment on those, and then there were a lot of people who just thought the movie was perfect, and that's a completely valid reaction to have. And I'm so glad the movie's doing so well. I found it delightful, good. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like it means there's more scrutiny because there's so much attention, but it's also good to see people kind of taking it seriously and having meaningful discussions about a romantic comedy. Yes. Cause it's so fucking rare to like not see one get disrespected. <laughs> Yeah, I I totally agree. And it, the discussion around it has been a lot different from a lot of other movies of that type. And I think the thing it reminds me of is when Obvious Child came out a few years ago, which was obviously a much smaller movie, but because that hinges on an abortion plot, there was similarly like quite serious criticism devoted to it. And part of the charm of that movie is that, you know, there's no, like, angst over her getting an abortion. Like, it's discussed in a serious way in the film, but it's not like, oh, my God, is this, like, ethically bad? Like, she's clearly like, well, obviously, I have to get an abortion. Like, I had a one-night stand with this guy. And, like, I'm not going to have this fucking baby. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen, right? But um, that's my favorite rom-com of the last however many years. I think it's an amazing movie. But it is nice to see this kind of criticism happening now around this film. Um, But it's interesting to me to have the two Netflix movies sort of lumped in with this general wave, which they should be because they also were released and they're also rom-coms and people were excited about them because obviously we are very starved for this stuff. But they just, it felt very different to me watching them and part of that I don't think that to all the boys I've loved before is a fake movie I think that is a real movie and I think it's like a respectful addition to the teen movie genre because I love teen movies and I've definitely watched a lot that are much less good much less sincere and like much less thought out than this one is like in recent years I think it is somewhere between a fake and a real movie I think it's like I see this is my this is my take. I'm sorry guys, I just didn't like it. <laughs> like, and I watched it with a friend when I was on my trip recently, and we both had the same reaction to it, which was kind of a relief to me because I was it would have been bad if I'd been like, I hate this video, been like it's great. I would have been like, oh god. Like Um But I definitely thought it was better than set it up, which Genuinely. Yeah, I mean, I thought the two leads of Set Up had great chemistry and are funny actors. But that movie kind of felt a little bit like it had been filmed in like a cardboard set. Yes. And you watch it and I think the leads of that movie are great. And Glenn Powell is clearly going to be a big movie star, which I have known since everybody wants some. I'm ready. I think he may also be like a screenwriter, but he's like, yeah, he's got like a bunch of shit lined up. He's great. He's great. But... You watch it and you're like, why are Taye Diggs and Lucy Liu not the main characters of this movie? Yeah. What's going on? It's just very weird. It, it kind of, what, something that reminded me of that recently is there's a movie coming out, which apparently is, is really good, called The Sisters Brothers, which is about a pair of brothers. And um, their, their official Twitter account posted like a teaser that was like, check out Rez Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal together in The Sisters Brothers. And I had to inform someone that like, they are not the lead's. <laughs> so it's like they're kind of like trying to fucking trick people into thinking like Diggs and Lucy the are that, the lead actors in this movie. It's like no, we know what we're here for, and you've you've defrauded us. <laughs> yes, but I felt with to all the boys I've loved before, the thing that aggravated me about that movie was that the way the characters behaved just bore so little resemblance to my mind. To like the normal rules of human behavior, <laughs> that I was like, "What is going on?" And there were so many really? things because the, the only so dropped. the only thing that to me felt contrived was the precocious little kid. Her machinations to me felt very puckish in the literal sense that she was like a little elf that shown up to like, create the plot. That didn't bother me because if I've watched fucking thirteen and going thirty, whatever, I can. It, it's a different kind of suspension disbelief. But that was the only part. But like all the other characters, like the the main romance part of the reason why people are engaging with that so much is because it feels so authentic and it's about sort of not being able to open yourself up to love and so forth. And his his, his feelings seem so sincere. <laughs> I mean, I found that actor whose real name I still can't recall. It's because, Noah Centineo. Yeah. it was, It's Noah something. He was great. He is Mark Ruffalo 2.0, which is makes this whole discussion come together in a humorous way uh our friend charlotte pointed this out to me before i watched it oh yeah he and so then very, i was on the lookout for it he's very visually not, ruffalo he's visually ruffalo but it's his voice he sounds exactly like him in a way that i found legitimately uncanny people out there pay attention to this like it's fucking weird I make a thoughtless like, son movie i i don't i don't know what honestly his voice sounds like so um yeah, well, yeah. I do. And I was like, <laughs> whoa. Like, I mean, good for this kid. Like, that's a good good person to be exactly like. Because uh, Mark Ruffalo is wonderful. Um, but I just found it so unbelievably contrived on every level. And so I think it probably worked much better as a book. Because the main character is so incredibly internal that what, like, I get why people are responding to it because it is about someone who is quite introverted and insecure. But the way that plays out in the movie is that she just is very passive and it gets to a point in the film where I was just like, oh my god, like, this is just, like, too much. No, I definitely, I did not have, and I've not read the book. I didn't know what was going to happen in the movie. I mean, you know, obviously I could infer from the from the, yeah. co- the concept, but like, no, I didn't get that. I felt like she was a really well-realized character and there were obviously like Lana Condor, the actress is just so charming. I love her in this. She's very funny. And I think costume choices were great and all the stuff they had for her, like overall, like visual design in her room. But in terms of like the internal thing, I find that perfectly easy to follow and like engage with. Um, Not in the sense that I'm that kind of person because I'm not really but there were like lots of things that just I found very appealing in a protagonist of this type of movie because it's very rare to kind of see this type of character where it's like a female character who is sort of an outcast but not like a super freak or like a nerd and you see that she's really into like romance books and that sort of thing and it's very kind of intentionally girly without it being talked down to and they kind of take all of these aspects that in some ways kind of reminded me of the Princess Diaries books in ways that didn't kind of translate to the screen because they are very kind of teen girl feminine. And also she makes her boundaries really clear. Like at the beginning of their relationship, she's talking about like, oh, you know, like I don't want to go too far or like kiss if we're not in a relationship. And I was just like, it's really, it's really cool to see this uh, this pink, pink her foot down, little quiet like Hermione girl. <laughs> but I found, so like there's all this stuff in the movie where they're saying like, You know, since you guys have been together, you come, like, you've, like, basically come out of your shell so much, and this has been so great. And they were saying a lot about her that was not demonstrated in the movie. And so I think you were supposed to go with the film in terms of, like, jumps in their relationship that I did not feel the film was actually showing you. And that was the problem I had well, with her. Well she like wasn't associating with her classmates or going to parties before they started going out. But like the father says at some point, I've seen you with him and like in all this t- like all of this time that you guys have spent together, you've become so different. And we have seen no evidence of that. And the parties that she's going to are awful, right? It just didn't like Everything about it and like the high school and like I realized that high school movies traditionally bear no resemblance to high school. Like this is a a historic thing in high school movies was just so unlike anything that I experienced or recognized as a teenager. And by that, I don't mean like I didn't have a fake boyfriend because very few people (laughs) did that. But it just it didn't feel real to me. In basically, anyway, which is in part a subjective reaction, and like I'm perfectly happy. I mean, it from. felt realer to me than Mean Girls because Mean Girls is like a setting, whereas in this, I was like, This feels like a wealthy, privileged, like suburban neighborhood school. I am from a wealthy, privileged I know, suburban no, town, no. and let no. me tell you, like. <laughs> I mean, I literally was just like shrieking with laughter every time anything happened at that school because I was like, nothing, like this well, it was so the crazy. Have responded very positively to this movie, so and that's fine. I am happy for them. There's a very cute boy, like that's great. But I did not find it to be an excellent movie, shall we say? But I think it's very telling that. The reaction has been so intense. And I obviously, my opinion is only the opinion of one person. So, you know, maybe I just don't get it. That's fine. And a lot of this definitely is just that, like people are reacting very strongly to the boy, which is how these movies often work too. But I, there clearly is just like desperation for these movies. We want romance right and tragic romance i was listening to um a film podcast that i shall not name so as to avoid shaming this person it was a it was a podcast with some men a few weeks ago they were talking about the summer in film and this man was <laughs> talking about crazy rich Asians and he was basically saying he wasn't being derogatory to the movie, and then, like, I had heard him say in another podcast very positive things about it, like, he clearly liked the film, but he was just, like, well, I mean, that's, you know, I really don't think that's gonna make over a hundred million dollars, like, because that was the benchmark they were setting for, like, hits of the summer, and I just thought, oh, oh, you're so dumb, (laughs) like, that's just not, oh, dear, and the sort of cluelessness of people, right, about the appetite for this stuff that I am hoping will be somewhat diminished by the obvious proof. Well, it's like the fact that it took them like fucking 15 years to make like a superhero movie with the women because they were like, we just don't know if it'll make money. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's like, what? What proof do you need? Like It's, it's like just... you haven't heard of supply and demand. <laughs> Honestly, and... I mean, this. I mean we just we've ranted about this so many times we don't need to go on about it, but all you need to know is the way that people talk about like 90s rom-coms, which I don't even like there's a couple of the big ones I still haven't seen that I've seen a lot of them and a, I think a couple of them are really amazing, but I don't think that period is as as incredible as a lot of people do. Like I think yeah, it's sort it's of just that there's like a nostalgia because there's been a fucking gap of like 15 to 20 years. Yes, but the way that people talk about those movies and like have them on rotation and rewatch them over and over and over again, it's like that's cuz there hasn't been anything since. So maybe if you made some new ones. I mean, there's definitely I like, imagine if you post a photo of Renée Zellweger somewhere, I think probably the majority of people will identify her as Bridget Jones. Yeah, and she's not exactly a one-hit wonder. No, but that's <laughs> the movie, right? And that one is I truly believe of oh, masterpiece. Obviously, yes. Great film. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just really curious to see what kind of happens from here a, on out. Crazy bunch, Rich Asians. A bunch are happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, Netflix is doing a ton, but Netflix, when Netflix releases movies, as we have discussed, they don't really promote them. So something like All the Boys I've Loved Before immediately became a phenomenon on the internet. So that's why that's why we're talking about it like that's why we watched it and people that's why you all presumably have heard about it but like they just dump so many movies that they don't tend to get the same kind of i mean they definitely don't get the same kind of attention as theatrically released movies unless they do become these kind of crazy phenomenon yeah cause phenomenon. something i found quite intriguing about. Um... So the, the second Peter Kavinsky movie, the one that's like a Serena de Bergerac movie, which obviously Netflix is now like an old Hollywood studio. So everyone who's in all the different movies and TV shows is from like another Netflix movie or TV show. So the <laughs> protagonist of um, this other movie, uh, Sierra Burgess is a loser, is um, Barb from Stranger Things. And uh, the concept is that like she writes texts for another girl um, to like date Noah Centineo. But um I have a feeling that if not for the combination of that like heinous fatphobic show and the popularity of all the boys, that show that movie would have just been one of the ones that like vanished into the background. Because what happened is like um, Netflix released this TV show. I don't recall what it was called, but it was about a month ago, which was about a teenage girl who was really overweight and then had like gastric bypass, like gastric band surgery or something, and lost a ton of weight and become became really skinny and cool and hot, and it was like. It was marketed as a revenge show, but the concept seemed to just play into the idea that now she was like a cool, powerful, hot girl because she was thinner and now she... And it just seemed really grotesque. There was loads of really kind of smart, thoughtful criticism on why it was like a fatphobic nightmare. And just watching the trailer basically tells you that it is. But I think as Damage Control, like in the middle of all these reviews coming out and absolutely fucking panning this show... Netflix was like, check out this other movie we've got coming out. And it's a film where there's a girl who she's like not classically attractive by like rom-com standards. And she's playing this role where she's the voice of romance for like the popular hawk mean girl. And they were like, oh, this is the reverse. And it's because like Netflix now is making so many fucking movies and TV shows that they've pinpointed really specific demographics to offer them like a mediocre drama that you're like, yes, excellent. Netflix is making what I want. And I, I just had this suspicion, like immediately, that they would have dropped that movie into like the dungeon hole, yes. If not for the fact that it's now got the double whammy of having Noah Centineo and being able to like say, actually, we're woke. Yeah, I completely agree. But no, I think you're totally right. <laughs> and this is the issue with the Netflix versus theatrical thing about which I have been very vocal. You know, if Netflix wants to make a ton of stuff, that's great. We will be talking about Netflix much more in the coming months because they're going to be a big player in the Oscar race this year in a way that will no doubt be very interesting. But there's a reason that the Crazy Rich Asians people refused to sell them their movie and they offered them reportedly a fuck ton of money. And they said like no. Yeah, it's a different and, audience and it's a different process. But like I think it's it's like really different from the situation that happened to all, the bo- with, to all the boys because what happened with that is the the author of the Young Adult novel is based on Jenny Han. Um, she got the movie rights and everything, and people were like eager to make um, a movie of such a popular book. And only one production studio was willing to make it not whitewashed. So every single other one was like, "We're only making it with a white girl." So this was made like by a production studio, and then like Netflix got the distribution rights and what have you, and aired it. But it's like. <laughs> they, are bu- they are, but by the grace of God we'll go weak in a situation <laughs> where it's crazy but yeah. patients, they were like no we're going to make a bajillion dollars right I mean no they are, they are very different situations but the, the point I'm kind of trying to make is that it is good that both of these things exist but even though To All the Boys I've Loved before is a huge hit by Netflix standards we'll never know numerically because they will never tell us correct the level of exposure that a big theatrical movie gets it's just completely different,
1: and then you Absolutely. have to
0: assume that that the level of cultural impact like years down the line is much more significant for those films than the like zillion movies that Netflix just like jumps right. Um, I'm sure that people will be watching to all the boys I've loved before in years to come, if they're teenagers now and watching it and loving it. But like crazy rich Asians is going to be on rotation for people for decades. Like people, it's a big, significant hit. Yeah. It's a big deal. Right. And so Netflix has obviously decided they're going to keep doing the rom-com thing because it's worked for them. But what I'm kind of more curious to s- about is whether the studios will discu- will realize that, like actually this is a good play for them. Mm. Because mostly they just are interested in making superhero movies and nothing else. But they can make a lot of money on some rom Crazy Rich Asians is making a f- lot of money. So, please. Well, maybe some other please. things will shift because all of the nightmarish misogynist abusive bosses are gradually somewhat getting fired. So... <laughs> Because a lot of the a lot of the time, there is literally a direct line between some absolute psycho, like abusive boss, and someone who is just directly being like, "You can't make a film with a woman," and it's just mm-hmm. extremely. There's like, there's no complex conspiracy. We've seen plenty of leaked emails and so forth. Yep. The same thing happened with Marvel. Like everyone's like, "Why didn't Marvel make a movie with a woman for years?" And it's like, well, obviously because the entire infrastructure is trash and they're really they're not particularly ambitious. But also, like, the guy in charge of Marvel, who is now literally hanging out in, like, Trump's palace, being, like, a Trump advisor, he was putting his foot down and was like, no, we're never making a film with the women. So, yeah, it's not actually that complicated when you boil it down. So, fingers crossed for the future, I guess. On that note. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, just go back and watch the old ones. If you want recommendations, you can come to me because I have watched... Perhaps too many. Or 13 going on 30, which truly is, uh, remains a, a masterpiece. Perfect film. Jennifer Garner should make another rom com. That's what I want. Please give the people what they're asking for. And by the people, I mean me. Keanu. So. I need my Keanu rom com. Oh. I need there to be a Keanu rom com coming out within two months of a John Wick movie. <laughs> May the stars align. That would truly be beautiful. At some point we're going to do a podcast about John Wick and I'm excited to find out if you care for it at all. (laughs) Well, we will discover that. We shall see. (laughs) So next week we are going to watch the first few episodes of the BBC miniseries I, Claudius from 1976. This was requested by a Patreon subscriber. Who paid us to do this so a reminder that you too can force us to watch i mean i'm looking forward to i have not read the book oh i have not yeah. seen the show but the the cast for this show is wild the main character is played by derek Jacobi, and then the rest of the cast is like got brian blessed in there you got john hurt you got patricia quinn um patrick stewart and uh, john Me davies so basically a lot of like lofty old british actors Many of whom I, I'm going to go ahead and guess were still in the young and hot phase because it was made in nineteen seventy-six, so we'll find out. I am also very excited to to watch this. That was not an expression of being under duress. Oh no, really no, not a, at all. Merely <laughs> a reminder I was uh, that, to the audience. You know, and it's about, you know, um, Claudius. Yeah. Uh, John Hurt is a particular favorite of mine, so I'm excited I to see him also play. Love, Caligula. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. John Hart's going to play Caligula? Yeah. So... Uh, I think uh, i literally you... Twitter-pated. Yes. <laughs> so if you want to join uh, that fun exercise, you can watch the first two episodes. We'll provide some details on Twitter. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast where there is other fun stuff. We... As always, appreciate any and all subscriptions. Otherwise, you can find us at our website, overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.